The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You are entering the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour with Josh Dunn and Anshu Khanna. You are now in the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. I am Josh Dunn. I am joined, as always, by my friend, Anshu Kana. Anshu, how are Gosh. you, my friend? Doing well, man. How are you doing? Long so, time, oh, no talk. It's been a while, man, but uh, I'm just so excited about what we have on the docket for us this weekend. NBA playoffs are about to kick off. We've got a tradition unlike any other. We've got... Uh, We've got Game of Thrones starting back up this weekend, which we're going to talk about at the end, which should be fun. Anshu, I just I don't know how to contain myself. We also have a bachelor party for our good friend Brad Mander uh, that we're going to be out in Denver for. So just so many good things to look forward to this weekend. But right now, I'm just excited to be talking to you. Oh, man, always. There is so much going on, and it is uh, it's definitely one of the best months of sports. Like We go from March Madness, roll right into the Masters, roll right into the NFL draft for me and then and the NBA playoffs. I mean, it's going to be electric. So exciting stuff here before baseball puts us all to sleep over the summer. Yeah, not to mention we're just coming off of one of the most fun gambling, betting, poll uh, tournaments in the history of sports, and that's the NCAA tournament, which we, we, we tend to have glossed over. But Virginia, the first time ever, our national champions after beating Texas Tech in overtime in what was a thrilling game after kind of an underwhelming tournament overall. Yeah, I, I you know, this tournament was, yeah, underwhelming at the start. But as we talked about, I mean, the good teams kind of rose to the surface and it created a bunch of absolutely electric Sweet 16 Elite Eight Final Four games. I mean, every single game Virginia played in, partially by design because of their slow pace. But, I mean, every one of their games was the, one of the best. I think you could argue their three last three games were the three best games of the tournament. If you think about Purdue, then, you know, beating Auburn with that absurd finish, and then obviously the Texas Tech game, which I know that the final score was a little bit of a difference, of a differential, but, man, that was I thought that was one of the best games of the year. I, I loved the crispness of that game, both two of the best teams in the country, two of the best coaches in the country, with just both teams playing at their absolute peak, it was it was a pleasure to watch. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. You posed this question in our group chat uh, as we were all watching that game. We had our March Madness chat going on of whether or not you would be cool with uh, losing as the number one seed to a 16 last year like they did uh, and then coming back and winning if you knew you were going to come back and win the title. So I've got to ask you that same question that you posed to the group. If you're Virginia, I mean, unless I guess unless you're one of the guys that was on that team that didn't yeah. come back this year, I, I'd assume they wouldn't want to be a part of that. But you've got to you've got to be okay with that as a Virginia fan, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I it was just such a fairy tale that a one team would ever a one seed would ever lose to sixteen. So to be the first is obviously a tough pill to swallow, but to come back and win your school's first ever title the next year is pretty special. I mean, 
you know, and then the way they did it this year. In the last two years, I read somewhere there's something like 60 and eight over two years in the toughest conference in basketball. I mean, with an absolute juggernaut in Duke in their conference. I mean, especially this year, absolutely crazy impressive that Tony Bennett's done what he did and kudos to the Cavs to come off that 16. I, I do think you take it, but man, like if you had asked me two years ago, I don't think I would have taken it, honestly. Yeah, it's good to see my Cavs finally win something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it is it is kind of a crazy story, and and you've you've got to you've got to appreciate it. You know, whether or not you're a fan of Virginia or not, you've got to appreciate what they've been able to do. And just you mentioned the way they did it, not only coming back from being the one team to ever lose to a 16 seed, but also these last three games, they look dead to rights. When you look at the Purdue game, they had to get a buzzer beater to send it to overtime. When you look at the Auburn game, they looked like they were out with, with less than 15 seconds left in that game. And then this one comes down to the wire as well. And Texas tech had their chances to put them away and they just missed shots. Uh, I think there were a couple of bad decisions made by Jarrett Culver and a couple of the other guys on Texas tech. And, they just couldn't get it done, and just Virginia just – we mentioned this leading up to the Final Four. They just kind of felt like a team of destiny in this tournament, did they not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they definitely did, but they – you know, they created their own luck in many cases. I mean, yeah, Kyle Guy, that three – first of all, that is a foul. You cannot get in his way in the Auburn game. But second of all, it takes a certain kind of cold-blooded player to hit three free throws with the whole tournament weighing in the balance. I mean, I – you know, it, I think that they, they did create their own luck in many cases, and they were certainly one of the top three or four best teams in the country. But you're right, at the end of the day, a lot of the things and some of the refereeing, I would say, leaned itself into Virginia being, you know, the team that was destined to do this thing. So I, I agree with that. Um, but, you know, they took the best punches of a lot of teams. It is interesting. They didn't have to beat one one seed. That's wild that they didn't have to do that on their way to the title. Yeah, that's it's still impressive what they were able to accomplish, and you know we we move on now from one shining moment, uh, you know, to another, and that's that's the the tournament that we all love to watch in golf every year. This is it's the be, really the beginning of of a fans golf season, and and you know I mentioned this on the leftovers this week. It, it it's a tournament that. We all get excited about golf for then we get out and we start playing golf and most of us are really bad at least I am and then we kind of start 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 realizing that we're really not that big of golf fans but the Masters for any casual sports fan is exciting I feel like everybody at least watches a good portion of the weekend or if nothing else they're paying attention to the scores but aren't you I know you've become a big fan of the Masters over the years and uh, you know we're excited to go through these lines. Uh, you know, we, we, we have our favorites, um, but uh, I think the field is pretty open overall this year. Wouldn't you agree? I do. I mean, I, I do agree. I think that there are there's obviously that upper class, but there's no like, oh, this guy is way better than everybody else. Or this these three or four guys are clearly like I'll take the field and you get those two or three or four guys. I just don't see this tournament playing out that way. Now, Augusta generally brings out the best in certain types of players but it's also the type of course where it's been proven the more success you have there the better you do i mean the statistics bear it out and in terms of like strokes gained uh is an advanced stat i mean over the past 10 years there are a couple players that clearly have success there jordan spieth who's got terrible recent form but is absolutely electric per round at augusta the best of any active player tiger woods obviously has an incredible history there um you know john rom has actually been really good in a couple of years there uh you know you've got justin rose dustin johnson rory mcelroy all right behind them 
And then Brooks Kepka, of course, is, has been good as well. Uh, so those are all guys that have good recent form at Augusta. And that is generally, you know, the, uh, the indicator that you're looking for. But there are a lot of other factors that play into success in this tournament. Um, it just tends to bring out the biggest names. And that's, I think, what we love the most about it. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, when you look that down the – just looking at some of our uh, lines uh, as to who's going to win this thing, uh, they've got Rory on Bovada here at plus 750, Dustin Johnson plus 1,000, Justin Rose at plus 1,200, and then Tiger crazily is, is at the fourth best at plus 1,400. Uh, Ricky Fowler, John Rahm, you just mentioned. You know, looking down this list, it, it, you know, you're a betting man, aren't you? Where are you throwing a little bit of money here? Are you – maybe picking a couple names out of this thing and, and, and running with them or uh, where would you put your smart money? Yeah. Well, I, my smart money would go the second section in under Bovada as top five finishes. I think those are, there are safer bets there, but if I'm picking a winner and again, think about it from the investment perspective, who's likely to be hanging around on that final Sunday? What are the names you close your eyes and you picture Jim Nance talking about the leaderboard? Who's it going to be? And I mean, I think Phil Mickelson at plus 4,000 is a great bet. I, this dude just always rises to the occasion. The lefty swing is absolutely perfect. Taylor made for this tournament. Um, and I think I think Phil at plus 4,000 is a real good bet. I think another guy at plus 4,000, Matt Kuchar, it still hasn't won, has had a kind of a rocky last year or so as far as his reputation goes. But I think that he's a really interesting bet at plus 4,000. I mean, I just don't understand – the logic behind why these two guys are at plus 4,000, but guys like Bubba Watson are plus 3,300. You know, there are other names that are slightly higher. Um, and I just, I really like those two. Um, Brooks Kapka plus 2,500. I mean, if the guy's healthy and feeling good, he's almost a lock to be a top five or seven player, which is crazy to say in this game and with how much talent there is, but he is definitely one that I would be looking at as well. Um, if you look a little further down the line, again, you're just talking about investments, Sergio Garcia plus five thousand. That that can fluctuate wildly, but if he's around, you know he can get real hot and uh, make a big run for the for his second green jacket here. Um, you know, Rafa Cabrera, Cabrera Bello at plus ten thousand is a super interesting bet. Cabrera Bellas is a really good player and it also gets hot quickly. So when you're looking at these big odds, you just want to think who could potentially be hanging around and who could make a huge run at the last second or no, at his best, who is one of the best golfers. And I think those those names are ones that to watch for here. I, I like how you uh, kind of lean on guys that have had some success in big tournaments before and, and that may be a little lower down on, on the odds list than, than you know, they, they probably had been in years past. But I, I tend to kind of take another route and, and look at names that maybe haven't won the big tournament, but uh, they've been close and won a lot of others. And I, I like a guy like Henrik Stenson at uh, plus 6,000. Uh, he's been very close in a lot of big tournaments, and I feel like he's a guy that's kind of hanging around and usually in that top 10 uh, range. I like, uh, I like him. I like Charlie Hoffman at plus 8,000. Uh, he's another guy that he's won some big tournaments in his in his career as well. Webb Simpson's a guy who's been playing really good golf of late. He's at plus eight thousand. Um, so uh, Louis Oosthuizen, he's a guy that uh, is at plus thirty three hundred. Then Jason Day at plus twenty eight hundred. So if I'm trying to you know hit it big with somebody who has a little bit worse odds, I'm I'm going with one of those guys. And then looking maybe at somebody who has a little bit better odds, I just think Ricky Fowler is eventually going to do this, and I'm eventually yeah. I'm going to be able to say that I was right in calling it after I've done it for <laughs> the past three or four years. <laughs> 
Are you you picking Ricky to win the Masters? Is that you close your eyes? You you thinking about our flight right before we leave Denver this Sunday, and you're thinking Ricky Fowler has won the Masters. So we have a pool that that uh, that that's going on, and and Ricky's in that top ten wave in that pool, and I'm I'm gonna pick Ricky as my top ten wave. So love I would that. pick I would put that's him as my it. first pick. I did it last year. He came close. He had a good finish to the tournament, but he just couldn't quite get across that finish line. Um, I just I think Ricky's gonna eventually hit it, and why not? Why not now? Yeah, I, look, I, I would love to see him do it here at, at Augusta. That would be such a fitting way for him to, you know, he's clearly to me the best golfer that's never won a major of the active players, but he's 30 now, man. He's getting up there and, oh, um, you know, it's about time. It's about time for him is what I'm saying. If he's going to win, you know, five, four or five majors, like I think we all think he has the talent to do or know he has the talent to do. So I, I would love to see him get that first one here as well. I, I think that, a name right next to him that's a lot younger, but reminds me a little of Fowler's John Rahm, just in terms of ability. Not in, guys a, a complete meltdown waiting to happen at any given time, but plus eighteen hundred. You know, if you're talking favorites, this guy. If you took everybody's hundredth percentile of their ability as of today, I mean, I'm not sure John Rahm isn't like the second best behind maybe Dustin Johnson. So that's that's another name to watch. I I've got Justin Rose winning. Plus twelve hundred, uh, you know, I he's the third best odds on Bovada. I just feel like he should be the best. He should be the favorite. He's been absolutely electric here recently. Been good at Augusta. I mean, everything points to me for him to at least be a top five, and that's another thing I would look for. So on Bovada, the top five, Justin Rose plus two fifty, just ahead of Tiger Woods at plus two sixty. I think Justin Rose is much more likely than Tiger, as much as I'll be rooting for him much more likely to finish in the top five. Um, I just think he's so solid. And, you know, when it comes down that stretch, who are the guys that you picture making the clutch putts, putting the ball right near the pin on those 60-yard chips? I mean, I, I think that – or approach shots. I think that Justin Rose is that dude. Yeah, one other way that you can get involved with this Masters tournament and make it a little bit more interesting too is with Yahoo Daily Fantasy, aren't you? I know this is something that you and I have – uh, grown fond of over the last few weeks as we've been talking about Yahoo, but uh, you've got plenty of time to get on on the NBA action. We've got the NBA playoffs coming up, which we're going to talk about here shortly. Uh, Daily Fantasy is a way to, to maybe win some coin, and, and it does definitely take some skill, uh, but if you have some names that you really like, why not uh, include them in your Daily Fantasy lineups? Uh, baseball, obviously, in full swing now. You've got golf right, uh, right around the corner here this weekend, uh, so why not use Yahoo Daily Fantasy uh, it's something that, uh, like I said, Anchu and I have definitely uh, been doing quite a bit. You can sign up now at yahoo.com slash daily fantasy or just download the Yahoo Fantasy app. You'll get $25 in free play when you make your first deposit using the promo code POD. 25. That is no waiting on your bonus. You can use it immediately to enter contests, and there's only a minimum deposit of five bucks. That's the promo code POD25 with Yahoo Daily Fantasy on you. I get, I get excited when I'm thinking about the amount of money that I can win when I play Daily Fantasy, and then I have to reload my account about two days later. <laughs> it's true, but I, I also do. I love Yahoo's Daily Fantasy. It always seems like they're a little bit more lenient with the pricing, and I think that that really helps you know more amateur players. Uh, like for this one, Justin Rose is $48, the, Dustin Johnson $48, Justin Thomas is $48. You can get Rory who by far is the favorite on Bovada for 47, Kepka 44, Rom 44, Tiger 43, Ricky, your boy, 43, Jason Day, 40. I mean, that's those are some nice prices, and you have a $200 budget, so you can stack your team with three or four of these guys if you feel 
like, uh, you know, you, you think you're right over me as far as, you know, potentially saying you'd rather have the top group rather than maybe um, more of a balance across the middle, you know, 40 to one odd types. I like it. We'll be picking ours. I know that's for sure. Uh, and we talked about the NBA as far as daily fantasy. So why not talk about the NBA playoffs as well? They're right around the corner starting this weekend. You guys will be able to watch them not too long after you're listening to this show if you haven't uh, already started seeing the playoffs as, as by the time you're listening to it. But looking at the future's odds on you, uh, just kind of looking through who has the best chances of winning things here in the playoffs, uh, pulling up the future's odds as we speak. We've got yeah. in the East, we've got uh, Milwaukee as obviously the favorite as the one seed at plus 160. Best record in the NBA this year. Uh, Raptors at the two seed at plus 230. Uh, Philadelphia plus 350. And then Boston at plus 390. Crazy. Boston's the four. Indiana's the five. And just look at that spread as far as, the, as far as who's, uh, who's got better odds to win it all. So they're, they're very top-heavy in the East, at least as far as the odds are concerned. But the, the seeds have now worked themselves out. So you're going to have Milwaukee take on Brooklyn. Toronto will be taking on, or excuse me, Milwaukee taking on Detroit, uh, Toronto taking on Orlando, Philadelphia taking on Brooklyn, and Boston, Indiana. Uh, which one of these series are you most excited about, and who do you ultimately see coming out of the East? Yeah, I mean, despite the giant discrepancy in Boston and Indiana, you have plus 390 versus plus 3,300. I don't know if you said the Pacers. <laughs> That's insane for the future there. but. Wild. I'm going to go the other way with it. I think the Sixers Nets series has potential to be really, really good. The Nets have a real home court advantage. They've got something going there. I don't think that they'll beat the Sixers, but I could see them giving them a fight, especially with, I believe you brought this up on leftovers Embiid, maybe not fully healthy. Um, and you know, the Sixers have not been super hot down this stretch, even after the Tobias Harris trade. And, you know, it feels like Jimmy Butler's going to leave now. It, it doesn't seem likely that they'll keep all four of those guys. So, I, you know, I know that they're probably the most talented team in this conference, but or maybe second to the Celtics. But, man, I, I think that series has potential to go six or seven. And if they wear down Embiid, you know, it's looking really rough for, for them against the Raptors the next round, especially without home court advantage. Yeah, I'm intrigued by those top four seeds in the East, and I would even throw Indiana in there. Uh, you know, I've talked about this a lot this season and how big of an impact Victor Oladipo's injury had on the way the Eastern Conference shaked out. But they've somewhat rallied around the rest of the guys on that Indiana team. I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, I talked also about Marcus Smart's injury on the leftovers as well as Embiid. Uh, you know, that could be a significant injury for a Boston team that, I, you know, I've talked about how they've struggled to find their identity this year. Kyrie doesn't seem like he's fully engaged. Uh, and, you know, he's obviously not been the consummate team guy along the way as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if this Indiana-Boston series goes six, seven games. And if Indiana wins it, I'm oh, not going to be completely blown away by that fact. I mean, I think Boston's the better team. You mentioned how they're probably the most talented in the East or one of the, if not the. Uh, but but Indiana's no no slouch. Uh, and, and I think the Eastern Conference, just as a conference overall, has has really come a long way just in the last year or two. Uh, where now you you used to have one or two teams that that had a sub 500 record and a couple games below 500. You know now things have kind of started to even out a little bit as far as talent goes. Whereas the Western Conference, which we'll get to, it, you know maybe is a little bit more top heavy. Um, so you know I, I think the Eastern Conference could be really fun. This first round we talked about potentially being very lopsided. I mean Detroit's got 
two former All-Stars on their team. Uh, so uh, Detroit is, is a team that, you know, again, not a slouch. Milwaukee's going to have to work to win that series, and they're just getting guys healthy again as well. So I'm excited for the Eastern Conference. I think it's going to be a fun playoff. What do you like? What do you like of those odds for the East? I think this thing gets I, I think I mean I I agree with you that Philadelphia is the best team, but it, it plus three fifty if Embiid's fully healthy, I I I'd like that. I like those odds, uh, just because I I think that when you talk about that addition of Tobias Harris, and I, I was a huge fan of his in in LA. Uh, for the Clippers, and I think that he was a perfect addition for Philadelphia. I was extremely surprised that the Clippers were willing to trade him when they were fighting for a playoff spot that they ended up getting anyway themselves. So I just did, I didn't really get that. He was a good team guy. I felt like he should have stayed there. But uh, I think that from a talent's perspective, if, if Embiid comes back, I like Philadelphia. But I really think Toronto's going to come out of the East. I know you love Milwaukee. Uh, I think Toronto, Toronto front to back is, is, is a really strong roster, and they've flown under the radar for so long this season. And they always get a bad reputation going into the playoffs because of of the lack of success that they've had in the playoffs, but a lot of that has to do with LeBron James. It's, I mean, it's been who yeah. they've been playing against, and you know, if you take LeBron James out of the playoffs in the East the last several years, you might see Toronto being the team in there every year. So I think, well, uh, and you add Kawhi, Kawhi. for DeRozan, yeah, and Marcus yeah. All. I mean, they, they, they've added quite a bit. Uh, so this team, you know, I, I think that. You know, people aren't really talking about them. They're talking about the great season the Bucks had and the talent of the Sixers and the Celtics. Nobody's really talking about Toronto, and you know, Toronto's healthy and they've got some huge names on that roster. I just I think that at plus two thirty, uh, it's not a bad bet at all. No, I don't either. I, I I think Toronto and Milwaukee should have even odds here. And you know, again, think about it from an investment. Plus two thirty on the Raptors. If they if these two teams end up meeting in the East Finals. I bet the Raptors will be favored. So if you think that – look, the difference is they have to play the Sixers and the Bucks get to, quote-unquote, play the Celtics. And I'm not sure that's a super easy cakewalk. Obviously tougher for the Raptors in my mind, but, you know, that's that's no – I think that's a factor. But if, if you think the Raptors are very likely to beat the Sixers, go ahead and throw plus 230 because if those two teams play, the Bucks and Raptors in the East Finals – I can almost guarantee you that the Raptors will either be favored or it'll be very close to even. So, um, but I, I think that the Bucks still, that being said, are a good bet because at plus one sixty, you know, you get them there, and then again, if they play the Bucks or the Raptors, you're probably getting worse odds. So I think that that's, I I feel like they're very likely to beat Boston and get into the East Finals, and for that reason, I like them, and I I also just like taking the best player, and I, I think that they clearly. The best player in this conference is Giannis, and I, I could see him having a season like LeBron had back in, I believe it was 06 when they first made the East Final or the uh, the NBA Finals. Do you think Giannis is the best player in the NBA right now? I, uh, I, I hate to say this, but I think LeBron still is when he's fully healthy. I, I do. I think that Giannis is probably second best, um, and, and I do think that he's better than Harden just because of the way – he executes what Budenholzer wants to do and the way that Budenholzer's schemes all revolve around him so much and the way that those players play so much better when they're around Giannis. So, um, you know, I, I just I don't think we've seen fully realized Giannis by any means. But right now he's he's certainly in the top three, if not number one. What do you what do you think? Uh, that's tough because Harden's just such a force offensively. And I think in the playoffs, he's you know, he. he He's not gotten over that hump, and neither has Giannis. And I think that this could be kind of one of those moments in in NBA in the NBA as a whole where somebody somebody kind of makes that next step or takes that next yes. step as a player. And I, th- I, I think that's what's for. really exciting about these playoffs. I mean, we know what the Warriors have, 
and we know that that Durant is is one of the best clutch players in the NBA. But you know, can James Harden get over that hump? Can Paul George? become the MVP caliber player we saw the first half of the season for Oklahoma City. You know, Russ Westbrook's shown, obviously, that he can be MVP caliber, but Oklahoma City as a team just can't get over that hump. I think they have to do that, and one of those two guys is going to have to be the reason for it. Um, And then on the Eastern Conference side, you have an opportunity here, if you're Kawhi Leonard, to show that you're the leader that nobody, you know, nobody has seen really out of you during your NBA career. And then if you're Giannis, you have an opportunity to really plant your flag as the consummate you know, team in the Eastern Conference that's going to be there year in and year out. And I think that's that's pretty exciting for some of these guys that really have an opportunity uh, to cement themselves amongst the, the the pillars of this league right now. And, and it is a transition period for the league as well. You know, we, we talk about Dirk Nowitzki and, and, uh, and Dwayne Wade on the leftovers. I mean, these are these are guys that were those types of players for their teams yes. earlier on in their careers. Uh, Dirk Nowitzki with, with the Mavericks when they won their championships and, and Dwayne Wade earlier on in his career when he finally got Shaq and started winning his. I mean, they were the guy. And Giannis could become that in these playoffs as well as a couple of the other guys. I, I totally think that. And especially if Giannis goes through Brad Stevens and then and all those guys that they have, Kyrie and, and Gordon Hayward and all those talented players on the Celtics. And then has to cut through Kawhi. I mean, that's a fitting finish for him in this conference to, if he has to slay Kawhi and then potentially go up against Durant. I mean, he, I think Giannis has already positioned himself to be the new face of the league. And, you know, this, these playoffs, as you say, could be his opportunity to plant his flag and to really make this his. And I, and, you know, in the history of the NBA, regardless of the pace or, you know, the refereeing or whatever the, the case may be, it's always been an individual players league. And I mean, generally the best player makes it to the finals at some point, right around this point in Giannis's career. And it just feels like it's time, you know, I, I mean, yeah, Kawhi's won his title. You're right. He, he could stake his claim as like the leader of this, of a team here, but I, I just don't see it. I think that Giannis is, is so good right now. Um, and, and is so well fitted for this offense and defense really that I, I do see the Bucks and the Warriors heading for a collision course, and I think that's going to be just an absolutely electric series if it happens. Yeah, we talked about Dirk too being like a, a, a completely like a generational change, changing type of a player. Yes. I feel like Giannis is that too, and you know, LeBron is probably the like the the closest thing just because of, because of the athleticism, being able to jump out of yeah. the building. But there's such different types of players. Giannis isn't as ball dominant as LeBron. Uh, you know, he's. I think he's a more dynamic defensive player than LeBron, and he probably tries a, little bit, tries a little bit harder, probably a little bit less skilled, not as much of a passer, but just the the athletic ability that he has, kind of that, that clutch ability to take over a game, um, you know, the ability to get teammates involved and make them look better is something LeBron's always touted as a, been touted for. And I think Giannis does that, but in a different, a little bit of a different way. So it's just exciting when there's a new style of player. And I feel like Giannis is kind of bringing that to the NBA right now when they need it, when big names are kind of on their way out or at least toward the end of their career. Yeah, I, I think it's a great point. I think it's why Zion is so clearly the number one pick this year is because people are just willing to see something and trust their eyes in terms of production rather than saying, oh, but that doesn't fit a certain archetype of player, right? Like Zion doesn't fit any archetype and it doesn't matter. Just like Giannis, like even today when I watch Giannis, I'm like, I just don't get it, but it works, you know, and it doesn't fit 
some of the you know the neatly fitted you know again archetypes of this league and i i i love it i think that it's a really good thing i think that it's cool that the game continuously dynamically changes and to have dirk be that at that point i think is a great point Dwayne wade was like that too as a, a new star a new type of combo guard as a 6-4 you know non-point guard really and i i think that Giannis is changing the game and durant changed the game similarly as well so it's it's just cool to see this new wave of player Definitely agree with you there. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Western Conference before we move on to our Game of Thrones. Western Conference-wise, it's it's really, uh, you know, obviously Golden State and then everybody else. So I just real quickly want to touch on this and just hear who you think has the best odds to knock them off. Well, the best odds on Bovada are, are the Rockets at plus 600, and I think that's probably fair. But, you know, the Oklahoma City Thunder at plus 1,700, they were plus 2,000. People have bet that down. We're not exactly sure. I think they're going to end up playing the Rockets. They could move around. But assuming they're the six and they, they get the Rockets as a three and then potentially draw the Nuggets, a banged-up Nuggets team, as a two, I mean, I could see this Oklahoma City team making a little run. And, again, investment-wise, plus 1,700, I think that you could do a lot worse because I do think that this Thunder team, all things being equal – you could definitely argue that they're just as good as any other team in this conference aside from the Warriors. Fair, yeah. I think I think Oklahoma City's interesting. It's going to be a tough first round if they do end up taking on the Rockets. I know there's some seeding things that are still being worked out in the West, but uh, yeah, the Warriors, you know, it, it, I know Steph rolled his ankle, but he should be healthy in time. I just, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a little, I think a little bit less competitive overall in the West, but there's some matchups there that Rockets, uh, OKC one in particular, I think the winner of that one is definitely going to be able to at least keep things interesting in the Western Conference. All right, I before agree. we get to, before we get to Game of Thrones, let's real quick talk about our friends over at Podcast One. Uh, with the start of baseball season, Podcast One Sportsnet has all your bases covered. Get your fix with home run shows like the Dan Patrick Show, the Rich Eisen Show, and Baseball and Chill. I know I love my Netflix and chill. Uh, don't miss the episodes of these new shows and more Stop. all summer long on Podcast One Sportsnet. All right, Anshu, the moment we've all been waiting for. We talk a lot of sports on this show. It is a sports podcast. Uh, but I think just the excitement around getting Game of Thrones back up and then ultimately the letdown of it being gone forever is just it's just a it's a fun time to think about. All right. So let's let's talk about Game of Thrones. We're looking at some odds. We're using our friends over at Bovada here. Uh, but the, the winner, the winner, the Game of Thrones specials, who do you think will rule Westeros at the end of season eight? Interestingly enough, the best odds on here are Bran Stark. What do they know that we don't? Well, uh, Bran Stark, if you if you nerd out a little bit, there's some YouTubes about how George R. R. Martin uh, in his past has written a lot of kind of shorter stories that somewhat parallel the Game of Thrones stories. And in those, um, the children of the forest are essentially or the parallels of the children of the forest winning out on battles uh, seems to be a theme and it could lead to. Bran Stark somehow being tied into that. That's what I've seen. At least it's, it's very complicated and way above my head, but you know, the, the big time Reddit nerds are out there getting this stuff done. So that's why Bran Stark is at plus two twenty. but I, I just don't see that. I, I don't see him being the ruler. Like I could see him surviving at the end or being a key factor, but I just don't see him being the one. So you look at some of the odds we've got Jon Snow plus three fifty, Sansa Stark at plus 500, 
Daenerys Targaryen at plus 700. Gendry at plus 700. Not sure how that's possible. <laughs> Peter Baelish plus 1,000. Ooh, what do they know that we don't know right there? And the Night King plus 1,000. Tyrion Lannister plus 1,000. John and Danny's baby plus 1,400. Okay. Arya plus 1,600. And then the rest are kind of silly. Cersei plus 2,500. Jamie plus 4,000. Any of those catch your eye? I feel like the Night King at plus 1,000 is kind of a bargain. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting just because I feel like it would piss everyone off so much if that ends up being what what, what happens that, oh, yeah. you know, that might be the route that they go. I, I, I just – I look at these odds and just kind of think about Game of Thrones in general. If you're a, a writer for this show, it's got to be the most fun job ever because you just – I mean, you're screwing with people's minds every single week, oh, and that just would have to be so fun to just be able to take it in whatever direction you want. Yeah, totally, especially now that you're not held hostage by George R. R. Martin. Like, right. you can go do your own thing. Um, and, you know, that's that's why I could see them maybe not going with the Night King here just because if it was our, George R. R. Martin's decision, then I think that, it, it you know, maybe it goes a little darker. But because – it's maybe not. I mean, I know that he's got final say, but ultimately HBO has run this thing and he's just kind of sat on his ass and not done this. Like, I mean, I feel like it's about time and, and I think that they'll, they'll go a more positive light. So to that end, I mean, Jon Snow makes a lot of sense. About, Danny makes a lot of sense. What about Theon Greyjoy at 15,000? Does Reek get a little bit of redemption here at the end? I mean, wow. I mean, that's a long back. shot. That's a hell of a, long, a shot. long shot. <laughs> but, uh, Dude, some of the names on here, like what would have to happen, Chris? What would have to happen for Gilly to end up? A, <laughs> <laughs> like, why is she even on there? That's Plus 150,000. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, who's a throwing few. a dollar on that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's definitely some funny ones, but uh, I – I just I love that that sports betting and just betting in general has come this far where you can bet on politics and you can bet on a TV show that everybody absolutely loves. Uh, what about who will who will perish first? They've got oh. Euron Greyjoy with the best odds there. Yara Greyjoy number two. Uh, something tells me the Greyjoys have a little bit of dying to do at the beginning of this season. Agreed. And I would go with the other one, Theon, who you you said would be a wild choice as a potential uh, king in. The, in Westeros at the end, I think plus seven fifty on Theon. I feel like, so there's six episodes, right? And yeah. I mean, someone important's going to die every episode, if not multiple. And I, I know, I think it's episode three where it's the whole one is just a giant battle. That oh. one's going to, I think we're going to lose about a dozen big time characters. They've got to cut them off at some point. I could see Theon meeting his end here. And uh, at first in season eight with some good odds at plus seven fifty. How do you think he dies? Oh man, my I mean, my guess is probably Euron. Euron seems like a pretty cold-blooded killer, and I feel like I, you know, why bring all these guys, all these Greyjoys in if they're not going to have some sort of longer-term, you know, uh, impact on this show? Is and it Euron suffering though, or could it be a redemption story for them? Because they've they've dealt with so much bad. Yeah, but Euron's a bad dude. So yeah. Yara and Theon are okay. I mean, Theon's whatever. Um, He's become yeah, kind of a loser. It, yeah, he's definitely, yeah, you know, I mean, he's, he doesn't have certain aspects to him that he once did. So plus 750, I mean, I, yeah, I could see the redemption. No I feel like no balls. That's right. So, um, yeah, 
I'm, I'm going I'm going Theon here though plus 750. I, I hear you, but I think that he goes down and Euron ends up playing a bigger role for Cersei over the first half of the season. I think that Cersei when when she well she ended up dying is an interesting one too. Episode five or six, a huge favorite. So, uh, you know that would beg the question that uh, you know maybe we're going to see Cersei be kind of the one that everybody's rooting for dying and then ends up happening late in the season. Yeah, I think so. I. I don't think she ends up dying early. It's going to be such a buildup for her death. Um, and so, you know, that, that storyline with Jamie needs time to materialize. And I think that that ultimately happens either three or four or five or six, which not coincidentally are the two, uh, the two favorites, but overwhelming minus 600 on five or six. I don't know if I'd bet that just cause it could happen in three or four. Yeah. If nothing else, we're very excited, if you can't tell, for what this weekend has in store. I mean, obviously, like yeah. we, we, we're not too too far removed from opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. That was a letdown. I just can't imagine this weekend with the NBA playoffs, the Masters, and Game of Thrones, uh, plus this bachelor party that we have to do, being a letdown. Yeah. I just can't see it. No. We I won't, won't allow it. it. We won't. Yeah. You you personally will not allow it to be. So I I feel good with our fate in your hands, my friend. Well, I'm going to probably be in your hands at some point over the weekend. So <laughs> either way, we'll be we'll be near each other. That's for sure. Yes. Anything to add before we let our listeners get to their weekend? Because I know they have a fun one in store as well. No, sir. Enjoy it. Enjoy Tiger in the red turtleneck on Sunday. It's there's just so few of these chances left. And I, I hope he's. He's alive and, and in the hunt because Tiger in the Hunt is one of the best, absolute best, especially at Augusta, one of the best things in sports that we have. There's no doubt about that, my friend. For Anshu Kana, I'm Josh Dunn. Our time has come to an end on the Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour.